This week on The Undoing. We open with Grace walking in her bajillion dollar dress and cape coat through the streets of Harlem right past the murder scene as we had seen on the security camera footage. Yeah, it bumps us too, lawyer lady Haley, who thinks Grace is withholding info because she is a rich and entitled lady, and she also taunts Grace's ability as a psychologist to get her to take the stand, which Grace won't. Grace comes home to Father Superior and says that she doesn't like Haley and wants to be coddled. Meanwhile, her husband, Dr. Dick, is still in prison, being clobbered by his fellow inmates. He also gets a meeting with no-nonsense Haley, who advises him to stop biting people and then pries into why he is estranged from his family as they discuss how he can come up with the $2 million bail. She also gets him to admit that there was another sad fuck woman he had an affair with besides Elena. Grace in burgundy velvet for some reason meets up with the fired public defender who tells her while shoveling raw steak into his saggy face that his gut instinct thinks her husband is innocent of murder, but guilty of being a dick. But that may be the steak talking. Though it seems enough for Grace to go to Father Superior to beg for bail money. She finds him, of course, still fucking sitting like a duck in front of his favorite painting in the museum. Before Franklin ponies up the money, he takes himself out to the prison to have a little chat with Dr. Dick. He emotionally, emotionlessly tells the, the possibly no good doctor that he thinks he is guilty and that if he does anything to hurt his family, he will track him down and kill him himself. So Dr. Dick and Nicole Kidman, a.k.a. Grace, a.k.a. Big Red, leave the courthouse following his bail being met. Dr. Dick makes a brief statement to the press in the pandemonium, declaring his innocence. Meanwhile, their son Henry, running in the schoolyard, bumps into Miguel Alves and apologizes, and then says hi and awkwardly tries to introduce himself. The headmaster obviously sees this as inappropriate behavior, even though it's one of the five C's. And now they want Henry to do homeschooling since he is the son of a potential murderer on trial. He is a stain to the school's white beacon of perfection. Father Superior is pissed about this because he donates lots of money to this school, so his grandson should be able to say hi to anyone he wants. Then, lucky for us, Detective Sexy and his lumpy partner show up to remind Grace that she and her husband are their primary business of late and to eke out yet another bombshell. Elena had painted a beautiful oil portrait of Grace, but Grace says she didn't know her, had no relationship with her, never posed for her, and she never answered any of the numerous calls Elena apparently made to her in the days leading up to the murder. Grace asks Jonathan if he knew about this painting while they take a walk together in their expensive coats. He attempts aggressively to get cozy with her, and she makes it very clear that he will never be her husband again, and that she is just playing the role of wife. And they both throw the title word undo in here, so if you're playing that drinking game, drink up. While Henry sits in school, watching endless hours of trial coverage about his father on his cell phone, Father Superior Franklin shows up in the school, has some lovely banter with Lily Robb before spectacularly devouring the headmaster in a most menacing manner and delivering us the most chilling speech and spectacular definition of cocksucker. Unable to sleep due to haunting images of Elena, Grace wakes up and goes for one of her not at all weird or suspicious late night walks through Harlem, blocks from where she lives in the middle of the night in the cold, in a coat that costs more than a month's rent in Harlem. Also out on the prowl tonight though is Mr. Alves. Grace walks all night, 
comes upon some children playing in the park, and then it begins to snow, and she does some Elsa from Frozen magic with a snower in her hand and makes eye contact with a ginger child before collapsing. Obviously, you think this is some sort of dream, right? Nope, it was reality. Cut to the hospital bed where we find her and find out that this actually did happen. Of course, Dr. Dick, her husband, shows up and insists on pretending to play doctor with her, while Father Superior Franklin looks like he is already about to murder him right there in the hospital. Lily Rob, Sylvia, also Renata, calls to check in on Grace and offers her a boozy sleepover, which is honestly the first time I've seen or heard anyone in this show give Grace something she needs. Meanwhile, back in Harlem, Dr. Dick violates his parole by paying an unwarranted and bizarre visit to Fernando and Miguel Alves. Again, to play doctor, play, pay his condolences, plead his innocence, and tell them to stay away from his wife. And then he offers to take his daughter. I still don't even know why Fernando allowed him in for this awful visit. And hard-ass lawyer Haley is absolutely appalled by his behavior as well. But Liz leads her to realize that Dr. Dick is essentially a snake charmer, a handsome, charismatic client. So logically, she realizes this is the ammo they need to win. She'll put him on TV with Connie Chung so he can work his charm. Back in Father Superior's palace, he and Grace are involved in a not-at-all symbolic game of chess in which we learn that despite the fact that Grace had idealized her parents' marriage, he was actually a cheating bastard who tried to make up for his indiscretions with gifts of jewelry. Grace is shook and throws the chessboard like a spoiled child, but also declares she is not weak, even though just yesterday she passed out staring at a snowflake. Then we get to see Dr. Dick's big TV debut, which Grace is holding the weirdest watch party ever for with her son, Sylvia and Sylvia's daughter, and her father. Jonathan uses his overly expressive face to plead guilty to infidelity while confessing he loved Elena and is in mourning for her, and most importantly, that he thinks he knows who did this. And with that, Big Little Podcast is back to talk about episode four of The Undoing, See No Evil. I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie. I'm Rebecca. I'm a Madeline slash Jane. I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Madeline slash Renata. Okay, ladies. So we have we start out by getting one question answered from last week, um, which was why didn't the police police arrest Grace if they have her on camera near the crime scene? And we find out it's because she's caught on tape again after. The time of death? is it? Did I understand yeah, that right? Is that weird. how you guys understood it? Yeah, that? it appears yeah. that the timing would have been wrong for her to have actually committed the crime. And that's why mm-hmm. they didn't arrest her. But it definitely makes her suspicious and, uh, you know, less reliable if they at all ever thought she was reliable. Yeah, I mean, it's a little confusing to me as to why, like, I mean, maybe she's, maybe it's literally, well, they can't have the time of death pinpointed so accurately right that they know she died at like 152 a.m and at 153 uh you know grace is like three yeah. blocks away or something i don't i don't know it seems a little confusing to me and i wonder if it's purposely vague i think that's got to be I, it i mean the only the thing that came to my mind was that she was seen on camera after the fact and looked you know, unbloodied. You you bludgeon someone to right. death. You don't walk away clean from that by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, that or she was seen so quickly in the next frame that it couldn't possibly have been enough time in between the first capture and the second capture for her to like go inside the art studio mm-hmm. killer. You know, like th- those are the yeah. things I was thinking because I found the whole scene 
intentionally vague and confusing. So I thought about it for a while. And those are the two things that I came up with. Yeah, it felt a little like they were explaining it away very quickly. Yeah. They wanted to put that cliffhanger in there, yeah, but then they had to that. explain it away very quickly. Yeah, but. it did feel kind of contrived. But I noticed something in this episode that to me is an even bigger concern. And I don't know if this is a prediction going forward as a big plot twist we have coming our way or something else. But uh, so in the scene where Jonathan is doing his TV interview, I know I'm skipping ahead here, but bear with me. Uh, I was, you know, watching Hugh Grant's very, you know, tragic facial expressions here, expressing himself. And I was like, oh, look at his big blue eyes. And then I was like, wait, Nicole Kidman has blue eyes. The kid playing Henry has brown eyes. That is not possible. <laughs> no, it is not possible genetically, but... So then I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is this going to be like a whole thing? Like that that's, you know, not that somehow that's not their son. I don't know. Was this just sloppy casting by somebody who was like, oh, I like this kid. Like no one will notice. So I think it's sloppy casting because this is a thing that has bothered me for ever. It's like um, the other thing that really bothers me on TV shows and in movies is when people don't have screens in their windows. They just <laughs> open up their window and like leave everything open. And you're like, yeah. Don't you people have mosquitoes? Yeah. Like, what is happening? What are you doing? We're very disappointing the casting director did not do a thorough Punnett square before making the Yeah. <laughs> so this is what's shocking to me. So I was once in a commercial where the guy playing my husband, he and I both have, well, I have, like, greenish blue eyes. He is like he had, like, greenish blue eyes, and they had cast a kid with brown eyes. And we got onto set, and they ended up actually, like, uncasting that child to play it was like a baby to play our baby or like little kid and brought in a whole other kid the day of because they were the production mm. team of a commercial which is 30 seconds was so hot and bothered by it not looking you know they were convinced that somebody yeah. would notice this so that's what triggered me to think like wow could they really have been that careless anyway that's something that i noticed in watching this episode well on the same note, like, of paternity, and right at the beginning of the episode, we get that exchange with Haley Fitzgerald with Jonathan, and he talks yes. about the mm -hmm. other lover, and then they keep making a point of showing Sylvia with her daughter, and as far as I know, there's no reference to any husband of Sylvia's, and the HBO uh, content mm -hmm. they put on an Instagram made a point in their, like, little featurette on Sylvia that she's a single mother, like, that is, like, the first thing. Sylvia is a dedicated lawyer and single mother. And I started thinking, what if Jonathan is Sylvia's baby daddy? Well, he that she's just... the she's the sad fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but so uh, interestingly enough, in last week's episode, which I didn't get to discuss due to uh, my absence, um, they, uh, they there there was like a very intimate, I felt, exchange yep. between them when she came to court mm -hmm. and he noticed her there. Um, yeah. So. I would not rule that out, to be honest with you. No, yeah. We definitely uh, pontificated about the possibility that there was something weird going on there as well. But he says the reason um, Haley Fitzgerald calls her a sad fuck, right, is like because it, was it had he just lost a patient yeah. or? Yeah. But it wasn't her kid, no. right? It didn't. He didn't say anything okay. about like, oh, I lost a patient and it was the mother of that patient. It was just, mm -hmm. this is a person I turned to for comfort after a patient mm -hmm. died. And if this is like right. his wife's friend okay. and she's around, 
I just feel like that. Well, and we know he has a history of right. turning to her because that was who he hired as a lawyer, right. even though that was not even her field of law practice. Right. And Sylvia so. was also very comfy with Franklin, and that might just be proximity, but it also felt like they had a deeper mm. meaning, like maybe he mm-hmm. paid her off to some degree, said, you know, found out that Jonathan was the she was pregnant by him and was like, I cannot risk Grace finding this out. And that's why he hates Jonathan so much. Or maybe, so the other thing I'm thinking there is like when Carolyn was saying like that uh, Jonathan might be the father of, of um, Sylvia's kid. The other thing I was thinking was like, Oh, have they, you know, I kind of got the impression that she and Grace are friends because of the school and because their kids are in school together. Um, And so I was thinking, well, they're, the kids are about the same age, right? Yeah. So would they have known each other yet? But if they're childhood friends, that would explain her being so cozy with Franklin yeah. and having known, known him for so long, as well as, like, them having known each other before the school. Yeah. I'm not sure I don't. That. I don't I'm think that they could be childhood friends. I mean, Lily Robb is considerably younger, even though we're supposed to accept Nicole Kidman as a younger woman than she actually is. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure on that theory. I just also feel like Sylvia is very involved in the school and Franklin is clearly a big donor there. And I mean, obviously they do seem to have some sort of rapport cause she was there for the watching of the TV mm-hmm. thing. They had that weird little watch party. So let's talk about this pa- painting too, because one, it looks like something you would buy in the mall <laughs> and savage i mean it's very accurate and also terrible but so but i think there's a lot of plausible explanations for how and why this was made but what did you guys think of it i thought that it was a nude right away which i think Mm -hmm. is interesting Mm -hmm. but not a nude that was bare you know her hair was covering herself so not necessarily like a lady godiva bear a lady godiva nude Yeah. yeah Um, so I thought that was interesting. I, I thought that what was more interesting than that scene was the follow-up scene with her and Jonathan talking about it like they didn't know. Like, mm-hmm. like whether she had an affair, a secret affair in tandem with his affair with Elena and they were both having independent affairs of her or what. But like it seemed like her questioning him and then him being like, huh, made me feel like all of these theories we've had about the two of them maybe being in cahoots or knowing more than they know are probably out the window because that really seemed like the two of them, they weren't doing this for anybody else, right? There was no one else in that mm-hmm. scene. It was just the two of them. And they both were seeming so confused by it that I, that's the first time I've really been like, maybe Grace and Jonathan are genuinely innocent of this and it really is someone else that has done all of this. Well, that's interesting because I, yeah, I, I do agree that they both seemed kind of shocked by the existence of this painting, which I felt like neither of them should have been because if he's claiming that she had become obsessed with grace then her painting grace is not uh, you know that would not be a far step for the imagination and grace like you know knowing that from jonathan's theory or if you know it is true that she and elena did know each other and had had you know any sort of interaction I, I don't know. I kind of got like a weird iffy vibe on their credibility in in what they were both claiming as like, oh my goodness, didn't know about this. Yeah, like are they I trying to fool each other? Or it just seemed like this conversation was ju- was markedly supposed to just be the two of them, and it wasn't for the police. It wasn't for 
Franklin. But this episode mm-hmm. definitely pointed me even more towards Franklin. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> yeah. So what? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. But I was thinking, um, what, like my understanding of if Grace did this, I don't think she knows she did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That oh, th- something sure. is going on, and she may not remember having had some sort of weird affair with Elena, and then. Um, and that Jonathan, if he thinks Grace did it, he thinks she did it because, uh, like, out of jealousy right. or something, not because something was going on between them. So he wouldn't understand that there was a possibility that she had, you know, posed for this and she wouldn't remember having posed for it. But I think it's probably just if she really was obsessed, then it's just a matter of her, like, going on Facebook or something and getting a picture and painting her, you know. I, I don't know. Um, so since we're since we're moving on to Franklin talking about his guilt or not, let's talk about him being a cocksucker. Um, what? So so he's bailing Jonathan out, even though he straight up says he thinks he's guilty, which to me was like I thought that was a blow to my theory that he might be the actual killer. So I'm interested to know why you think this episode is pointing more toward him. Well, I mean, bailing Jonathan out does not, if anything, I think that he felt like that way, it's going to, he thinks that Jonathan is just going to do things that will accidentally incriminate him, him being Jonathan, and it'll just make the case against him even stronger because he's convinced that Jonathan is like a total fuck up anyway and hates him. So I think like he thinks that this is a win-win situation. Um, You know, he's doing a, a great act for his daughter and her family like you know but at the same time just gonna let Jonathan trap himself even more because it's clear that Jonathan I mean the fact that he showed up at the Alves's house like he's clearly just in totally unhinged and uh you know behaving kind of erratically as well um I mean how I I I think it was like somewhere around last episode that I started to be like, hmm, I wonder what Franklin knew and or is involved with. Uh, Because, you know, he's the one who pushed her like to go to the beach house. He said, like, you should go to the beach house. And that suspiciously was where Jonathan was. Uh, And then, I don't know, this episode with him going around threatening Jonathan, threatening the headmaster. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm starting to get uh, suspicious about him. I am even more suspicious about Grace and her mental c- condition and things that may have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm really, I have said since the beginning that I thought Grace did it and that's still a possibility, but I'm now, my second choice is now Franklin. Yeah. Or maybe even What about you, Rebecca? What do you think? Is this this, uh, episode pushing us more towards Franklin than... I mean, I think it's pushing us towards the idea that Franklin is capable of violence. Um, I I think it was last episode or the episode before, I said something about Franklin gives me, like, strong mob vibes. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically, why he is hanging out in this museum seemingly all the time. (laughs) And I just... It just seems like someplace that you know, you would go to meet people that's public, that's, like, your spot. Like, oh, you you want to talk about mm-hmm. offing someone? Meet Franklin in the downstairs gallery. Like, I, it just, that's weird to me. And the use of the word cocksucker in general 
made me feel like there was a mob undertone. Like, that's such a, you know, he says what you guys have defined it as now is not the way I'm defining it. I'm talking like an old school cocksucker. And, like, there's, like, mm-hmm. a status in that almost. Like, I'm an OG slime ball. Like, you don't <laughs> even know how many kneecaps I've broken kind of thing. So, in a way, I feel like uh, Franklin is this week's obvious pick. Like, every week I feel like there's been mm-hmm. one that the, sh- the episode clearly wants you to think is the killer. The first one was Jonathan, second one was Grace. Now it's, we've got Franklin in the hot seat. But I feel like this is a red herring, and he might have some more skeletons in the closet. Like, we learned this episode that he was unfaithful to his wife. Like, there could be some sort of history with him. You know, he could have covered up for Jonathan in the past. As I've said, I think that's on the table. But I don't think he's our killer. I feel like this episode planted some real seeds. And I know we talked about this last week kind of in a joking way, but I'm really starting to think that Henry had something to do with this. <laughs> like, I, I'm not kidding. Like, I just, the whole encounter on the playground with Miguel Alves, where Miguel Alves looks like he is going to shit himself when he has this run-in with Henry. I'm like, this isn't just a kid that's, you know, a, uh, intimidated by an older kid or knows that this is the son of, the man that his mother was having an affair with and he doesn't understand it, he looked straight up terrified. Well, that's interesting because when Jonathan showed up at their house, um, I the way that uh, Miguel looks at him and there's something in that, there was something in that moment that I was like, Miguel knows who killed his mom. Yeah. I had this like gut instinct in that scene. So it's interesting you say that because I too picked up on, uh, and, and there's something about, Henry, where, you know, he is very sweet. He's um, sus. There, there's a sweetness to him that also feels very, uh, you know, controlled. I, I, it's like he knows kind of, he knows too much of what to say for a child of his age. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he also, when he's talking about the way his grandfather dealt with the principal, he says, you left a footprint yeah. on the principal's head. And I'm like, what? Who? Yeah. It that? may just be bad writing. It may just be people don't who don't know. know how to write for kids or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also could but, be he literally is speaking from experience. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's... And, you know, Henry, we have a lot of times where we kind of see him creeping in a corner and watching. Uh, so even mm-hmm. if he didn't do it, maybe he, you know, followed and saw things and knows things. Because uh, there are a lot of times where you just kind of see him standing there watching from behind. And I would he is be also if this is a John Benet Ramsey situation where Henry mm. has done something and the parents discover it and are like, well, mm. we don't want our kid to go to jail for killing this woman, so we're going to cover it up kind of situation. Are you trying to get a sued by Burke Ramsey, <gasps> yeah. Rebecca? Oh my I gosh. hear he's Burke very Ramsey, litigious. if you're listening, we are ready to talk. Like, we are ready to have <laughs> you on this podcast as a guest. You can pick any show you want to talk about. um the back on track with henry though uh something that he uh, now i don't even know now i'm just too excited thinking about the ramsey case look what you've done now Mm -hmm. my mind is just swirling with that yeah (laughs) um to this a whole thing like this feels a little bit like season one of big little lies mm-hmm. where like every episode is trying to point you at someone different so you don't ever have any real inkling of who did it and then in the very end it's the person you probably never expected right so i'm wondering 
who like I don't know that there was anyone really in the show at this point that we don't expect. But I also feel like we've got to kind of take a step back and realize we're looking at this with a fine tooth comb. If you're your your average mm-hmm. viewer that's just tuning into HBO, a couple glasses of wine deep, and are not thinking about it too deeply, are you really that suspicious of Henry at this point? Our astute watchers no, or are Sylvia. I mean, we've been doing polls, and people are definitely starting to think that Sylvia and Henry are a little sus. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I feel like they're definitely, as you say, like. This is a concrete show. This They always went into this saying it was going to be six episodes. The format has been such that it seems like every episode is kind of setting you up to believe it's one person. And then by the end of the episode, it pulls the rug out from under you and sets somebody else up for the next episode. So I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being a rando, like a, a, a wild card like Sylvia or Henry. Yeah, for sure. Uh, meanwhile, I definitely want to discuss Haley, the, this... Uh, mm-hmm amazing force of a lawyer that mm-hmm. um that father superior franklin has uh thrust upon them she is she is a pretty she is formidable and i am kind of terrified of her um <laughs> you should be we should all be afraid of her she'd crush us yeah all. yeah mm-hmm. so uh this actress is amazing i her name has escaped me now i meant to make a note of it um, she actually was in the West End and Broadway cast of um, the Harry Potter. Yeah, she was Hermione. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she really is killing it in every scene with her delivery oh. and just... Uh, she is the character that they needed to be this kind of grounding force around all these total lunatics who just seem to be spinning out um so i'm really she is kind of winning as like for me as like sort of a standout the the standout character in this series and like a real standout performance uh of uh, for her as an actress well there's that scene you know the scene where she's kind of coming to the realization that she's got this charming Mm -hmm. this charming client in front of her is she, like, trying to see if he'll try to seduce Yes, her? she was. Yeah. Oh, Thank yeah. you for bringing that up. Loved that moment. I literally um, screamed kiss at the TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alex and I were like, ooh, they're going to get it on. But uh, we did not want that to happen because we respect her too much. Um, yes, so like, she is not stupid enough very to do that. But she's clearly. smart enough to get him to do something stupid because she's a great attorney. Right. So I was like, yes, bitch, get mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Get this horny yeah. slime ball that looks like a sexed up raisin. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! It's like the California raisin yes, gone. Exactly. Oh my God. He really yeah. does look like a California raisin in that like weirdly like cartoony hot way, but like also that's a raisin. Yeah. Yeah. He is very craggly. I noticed it even more in this episode. Um, I don't know if they wanted him to look like more weathered and leathery, like as if you know his three days in prison really took the toll on him, but. Even more so, I feel like they gave him lighting that just exposed, like, the fucking roadmap that is his face. Well, I thought he looked a little bit better, like, in the Connie Chung scene, like, the the, well, t- yeah. the TV lighting. Well, the yeah, that's, lighting. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Face mask I mean, or two. Bef- yeah. Before we get to Connie Chung, though, let's talk about Grace passing out in the park yeah. after she has this, like, weird Lorelai Gilmore, I smell snow moment and, like, starts... <laughs> 
is she catching snow in her hand? Is that yeah, what's happening? Yeah, it looked right like Elsa in Frozen. Like, she was, like, hovering a magical snowflake. I was like, what is this shit? I was really hoping that that was a dream sequence. This well, kind of... I think of... it kind of is. I think this is... She's hallucinating. I mean, I think more and more, like, we're seeing the physical manifestation. I think it's a combo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she actually stops to, like, look at the kids or whatever. Yeah. But then when the you know, little version of her comes up. And the snowflake that she floats, as Caroline said, you know, the the snowflake's falling and then you Mm -hmm. see it retract. I mean, that is a visual hallucination. I think the show is being Mm -hmm. quite obvious in trying to say that this woman is seeing things that are not there. I mean, we got this in episode two where she sees Elena's face in the mirror. Like, and I think that maybe Mm -hmm. at that moment in time, we thought, all right, this is a flashback or something like this. Now I think that this is from her point of view. She's really seeing these things. These are, and then she fainted. I mean, yeah. this is classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that she's even going on these night walks Maybe is... she's sleepwalking. Like, have we considered that? Like, maybe she has dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. I wanted to bring that up, that is this a sleepwalking thing where she's not fully conscious? And, it kind of looks like um, it. Like, she seems very does. out of it when she's walking. She wasn't really aware of Fernando Alves following her. She was just sort of... So they live on the Upper East Side, correct? That's what we... Yes. Okay. They live on... They live at 63rd Street, according to Hot Detective. So we're supposed to believe that she is walking, like, 30, at least 30 blocks, probably more, oh, yeah. in, in the middle of the night, in the cold. Not just 30 blocks, because I'm guessing 40. she's got to go across town, right? Yeah. yeah to get to Harlem. So, mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, and is she doing that, like, through and and along the park? I mean, first of all, as as a anybody from New York or who has spent time in New York knows that that is crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> no, yeah, you would never ever, like, no one walks that far unless they're, like, in the middle of a mental breakdown, which or she asleep. might well be. Well, but right. It, but also, like, the safety issues. Like, how has she not... How has something not happened to her before? I have no idea. This that is no wild. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Everything about that scene really had me on edge, and definitely secured to me that she is not. Uh, um, she is not well. <laughs> yeah. So then she's all, when she's talking to uh, like Daddy Donnie there. Um, he's. And he's sort of afraid that she's going to find a way to believe in Jonathan mm-hmm. again. She says to him, just how weak do you think I am? And it's sort of like, yeah, he. I, there's clearly a reason for him to think this of you. So I don't know. I, is it a past mental breakdown? Is it that everyone knows she's got these memory issues and has no idea what's going on. Is it that she's got a bad history he with men? I don't know. seems but. to allude to the fact that she ha- has some issues with memory or the way she recalls things. Because he says, like, mm-hmm. you, you go about chasing ghosts. And mm-hmm. uh, he also kind of implies that she sort of wants to paint everything in a nicer way than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's definitely... Uh, there, there's definitely, I've gotten the vibe from him all along that he's very protective of her and that there's something in her past and something about her that makes him be so protective beyond being this, uh, you know, wealthy patriarch who is still very controlling of his family via the means of money. I'm still confused about the money thing. I feel like 
Yeah. There's just so much weirdness around that. Like, she's a therapist for the rich in New York. He's allegedly a doctor. I mean, even if he lost his license, he was seemingly a doctor before that for a very long period of time. They're both living in Mm -hmm. New York, making New York salaries. I'm just confused. And I, I can understand, like, the grandfather paying for school and the grandfather pays for the school yeah like so that's not it's not like they're paying a huge chunk and then how old is this kid right like the grandfather when he went to see the principal was like i've been paying money to this school for years like are we supposed to think that he went to the school and his family i think think it's a legacy went to the school yeah i think it's a legacy thing the grandfather went there uh she probably went there um, it, it, that's a, that's a classic private And what does thing. he do? Like, that's the other thing. We've not had one word of, oh, he's really Just, successful investor or lawyer. Or, I mean, does anyone know what rich people do? I mean, true. No one knows what they do. Very true. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he, this like is even if he, the if they. Like, too sketchy. <laughs> he's got all of this wealth. And where is it coming I wanna from? I want to know what, I keep trying to get glimpses of the painting that he's sitting in front of. And, I, uh, I, I keep we, tr- Mm-hmm. We saw a little bit of it. Right, this, but this I'm episode, having trouble but... identifying it, which is embarrassing yeah. because my uh, double degree in college, one of them, one of my majors is, in fact, art history. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that is going to, that's a big clue here. There's something going on with that that art museum, that painting. And the fact that we're not able to see all of it, I think is that's something that the show is withholding from us. I really feel like there's some layer with that that's gonna that's going to reveal. I'm hoping. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to look it up to get the answer because it's something that you know um, Google suggested the question to me. So clearly, other people are um, other people are asking, but I'm having a little trouble finding the right answer to this. Do, do, yeah, do, do, I don't know. Do, do, oh, do. I know. <laughs> R.I.P. I'm not over it. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can't find it without, like, reading a whole article. So we'll have to come back to that. But, um, okay, so let's just get to Connie Chung, right? So <laughs> she's here. The Connie Chung like, in the room. <laughs> like, is she still a real journalist? Like, is she allowed to be doing this? I'm not even really sure. I haven't seen Connie but, Chung uh, since, like, my vague, hazy memories of the 90s. Yeah, I mean, other than her marriage to Maury Povich. She I is She is to. retired, correct? I have no Wait, idea. She's I, married I, to I, Maury Povich? She is married to Maury Povich. What? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, my mind is blown. That's crazy. Um, I'm sorry. Wow. Wild. <laughs> So the painting is at the, they filmed at the Frick Collection okay. on the Upper East Side. Um, so that's all I can find. But I'm Well, we'll have to, to take be... a field trip if you want to become oh, one of really our patrons. interesting. I actually thought of that, um, I actually thought of that museum when we were, like, when, when I was watching it because it's in this book I read... A few years ago, the name of which I can't remember, but it's about like a kind of reclusive, like Salinger-esque writer who lives in New York and who has this one really young kid that turns out to like be a clone of him, not actually his kid. And but they live near the Frick. And so they keep seeing like people coming and going from it. And I know it's like a weird building, right? Like that doesn't even look like It doesn't look like an art museum. Yeah. And there have been several times where he's been leave, like we see him leaving what you think is the museum, but it looks like a building with a doorman and stuff. So I've been like, is this just 
in their apartment building, but now it makes sense that it yeah. that it is the frick. Um, but okay, back to Connie Chong. So <laughs> this interview, I mean, I I was trying to think of like other famous husbands who everyone thinks they killed their wives who went and did interviews like um. I think Scott Peterson did interviews like this and it doesn't ever seem to go well, but I mean, it's hard to tell here because obviously it's not real, but do you think he came across well? It reminded me of the scene in Gone Girl when uh, I was going to say that goes Mm -hmm. on like it wasn't Nancy Grace. It was the other journalist equivalent, but it felt like that same sort of like it had that same vibe where I feel like like the show was doing this a lot, like where we're getting like these very classic tropes like yeah quickly, like the courtroom but the lawyer scene in the law it office it did feel like he was speaking through the camera to someone directly oh yeah like in gone girl so that was interesting i had the exact same thought um connie chung i think they went with connie chung because they wanted somebody who would be recognizable as a journalist but it's hard to put actual working journalists in fictional shows some of them have contracts yeah. that um that don't allow yeah, that. Get in that fact, HBO coin, Connie Chung. That, uh, well, that, yeah. So, like, in um, that Adam Sandler movie that came out on Netflix, there was uh, an actual journalist from some local Boston news who did a cameo, and she ended up losing mm-hmm. her job over it hmm. because that was a breach of her contract. So I think that's why they, you know, opened a crypt and pulled Connie Chung out. Um, because... Yeah, I mean, I'd always understood that to be the case, too, that journalists weren't supposed to play them, especially play themselves in something. Right, yeah. Um, but then, like, 30 Rock just blew that out of the water when Brian Williams and Al Roker and everybody was well, on Well, that's show, because like, it was, like, other. NBC, the, like, parent company. I mean, that was, that show was basically very much a commercial for NBC Universal. It was sort of like an in-house, yeah. kind of like SNL. There are certain bridges that you know allow for that passage to happen but Mm -hmm. in the case of this i think it had to be somebody like connie chung uh i mean barbara walters would have been great but they would have really had to they would have seriously had to just like open up some sort of cryogenic chamber that they are keeping (laughs) her in um and and i I mean honestly i was kind of disappointed with connie chung's appearance in this because she didn't really do too much. She didn't. Yeah, it was a, it was like a poorly scripted interview. It was like too yeah. much of him being allowed to like. I Babble. mean, not that anyone really wants to hear from Connie Chung in this, but like, um, it just didn't feel like. It didn't feel a like real, real journalism at all. No, and mm-hmm. um, they also she also didn't really get a lot of camera time. Uh, so if I was no. Connie Chung and her agent, I'd be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the, the very end when he tells us that he thinks he knows who did it, who do you think he thinks did it? I think that he doesn't know. I think that he set up the interview to imply that Fernando had something to do with it. And that's certainly what Fernando has perceived from him. We get that quick shot of him watching it and looking outraged. But yeah, then I think it's also mm -hmm. that he is might cast a suspicion on grace i mean we get a in the scenes for the next episode he's saying what were you doing around there so maybe part of him thinks it is grace maybe Mm -hmm. part of them thinks it's fernando this is why i don't think he knows the other thing that occurred to me was maybe there's a case for sylvia sylvia was jealous and you know they had Mm -hmm. an ongoing thing i don't know i just i think that he doesn't know for sure and if he does know I, i don't know I don't think he knows. I think that was like, a, I'm going to just try and push this off onto anyone else. 
I think he thinks he knows. Yeah, I really. So uh, opposite. I agree with Rebecca. I think mm-hmm. that this is a fishing expedition, um, in mm. which he is just kind of going to act like he, he's trying to get someone to come forward because he doesn't know. But I or do he think was that, involved, and he's trying to you know throw someone. See, off. I think that the public defender stuffing that stake in his face was right. I think that yeah. he's a dick. He's a dick, but he's innocent. Um, and I think that he actually does believe that it was, I think he thinks Grace did it. I think he does too, because one, I don't think you'd bother to show up and try to convince Fernando that you didn't do it if you think he did yeah. it and knows you didn't yeah. do it. And you probably also wouldn't leave your biological daughter there with him. Uh, so maybe he was there and when it happened, Grace did it. Grace was dissociating. She doesn't remember, mm-hmm. but he knows. That's that's very plausible. Um, I think the other good explanation, I think Grace is the most likely explanation, but I think Henry is also mm-hmm. a good explanation because it explains why he hasn't just told the police who he, you know, he hasn't squealed because he's protecting He them. said, before he went into all of that, he said, I think, um, somebody that would be jealous of her. And, you know, what the viewer mm-hmm. is supposed, the viewer in the world is supposed to think is it's Fernando. What, with our knowledge, we're supposed to think is Grace. But what if it's Henry? What if Henry found out that his dad was having this affair? He was super upset right. that his family, his core family was being sacrificed. And his dad had a baby by this woman. And now he's got this unwanted half-sibling. Like, that all could very much be the reason for, mm-hmm. you know, the jealousy comment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, well, you know, I think every little thing matters at this point. Like, nothing is uh, to be ignored. Um, so let's let's talk about Nicole is in a nice shower again. Um, at first I was... <laughs> Makes me laugh every time. I was, thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that there weren't that many Kellyisms left to talk about that we hadn't talked about. But then I was thinking, hearing Carolyn say the word sad fuck, it made me think of <laughs> yes. um, Ed. Mm-hmm. But now I can't remember, uh, uh, like, dick fuck? were we uh, calling him a sad no, fuck? No, it wasn't sad was fuck he used. It was something else. It was a puss fuck. Yeah, a puss fuck. But, I mean, same thing. Fuck puss? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I love these terms, but they are very... That is odd. I had forgotten about that, but you are right. That is another Big Little Lies connection. Um, the other thing I was thinking was, you know, Grace, the, these scenes of Grace, like, interminably walking around are, like, the most, I, I feel like they're important, but they are the most boring thing in the history of television. And I, you know, you guys know that I keep forgetting to watch the show sometimes. <laughs> And I think it's because of these long stretches in the middle of the show, which are really kind of boring because she's just wandering around doing nothing. And I was thinking, oh, this kind of equates back a little bit to like Jane running on the beach or when Bonnie (laughs) is just wandering on the side of the road. And um, fillers, yeah. So I guess that's a little bit of a Kellyism. Is there anything else you guys have got? Not. I don't know if you have anything, Carolyn. I I think those two are perfect, and I certainly couldn't come up with anything this week. But I do want to say something controversial, yet brave. And that is <laughs> that I think sometimes Nicole Kidman is not the best actress. There I said it. It's out there mm-hmm. in the universe. 
I just feel like this is a miniseries and I should be more invested in the lead character at this point. And I should be, mm-hmm. I'm compelled by the mystery of it. I'm compelled by the mental health angle. I'm just not super compelled by her in this role. And it does remind me of Celeste. And that was the same kind of role, like this sort of sad, lost woman who maybe is going to reclaim herself and that's going to be super exciting. But there was a pathos there and an urgency, obviously, with the Mm -hmm. domestic violence that gave that performance this gravitas that I don't feel is in this at all. And it kind of makes me feel the same way we felt about um, Reese Witherspoon in Little Fires Everywhere. Like, we loved Mm -hmm. the performance of Madeline Martha McKenzie. We can see tones of that in this performance, but it's just not as good. And I just don't feel like Nicole is is killing it for me in this I will agree with you in this unpopular opinion. I feel that Nicole Kidman is, she runs hot and cold for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I think what is not working in her favor in this show, I think her hair looks gorgeous. Her outfits are gorgeous. Her face is off. Uh, I think she's she, looking a little jokery. She's, she's looking, looking a little, little plasticky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's affecting her facial ability to emote. They also don't um, have great chemistry. Like, I think in that scene where no. they're hugging and we're meant to feel like her longing for him, despite the fact that he's hurt her and she doesn't want anything to do with him. I just didn't feel it. I just felt like these two, even when they everything was good between the two of them, it wasn't. It didn't feel lived in. It didn't feel like these two people have been with each other for a long time and have history Agreed. and inside jokes. It just felt like here are two prestige actors that are going to get eyes on the screen, but we didn't really spend that much time seeing if they clicked. I think yeah. if you're a devoted listener of this podcast, you will remember me saying that Big Little Lies blew me away because I think it was the first time that I was like, wow, Nicole Kidman's a really good actress. I remember mm-hmm. saying that. And I remember having that realization. Um, and this show is not that caliber of performance from her. I wonder, and I don't necessarily disagree with the two of you, but I wonder if part of it is this character who is this weird blank slate right. that we don't really know. Which and, is possible. And that's fine. Like, I'm okay if that's the conceit of the character. I just feel like it could be more if that's the case, right? Like, you yeah. could be giving mm-hmm. us more heartbreak every episode. You could give us more tension, more confusion, I don't sympathize with her very much. I want to. I The show has cued me up to either revile her because she's a murderer or feel very sorry for her because she's a scorned woman. But I just don't really feel anything at all. I've got all sorts of feelings about the other characters. I feel like I know Sylvia's character better than I know Grace's character at this point. So I also think that, for me, Nicole Kidman's strongest performance in this series so far. I mean, we have two episodes where she can just blow it out of the water. But it was in the first episode. I felt like she was yeah, really good definitely. in that episode. It was a high and there point. Was, <laughs> it was her high point of the season. Um, and, and there were a lot of shots where, like, that scene where she's calling all the hotels looking for Jonathan. And we got this, like, great Hitchcock shot of just her eyes. And her eyes were so engaged. Like, it was, she, that was really in it. She was there. And I was like, oh, this is another great performance by Nicole Kidman. And now here we are in episode four. And I agree. I'm, there's been a a stiffness. But it makes sense if we look at it from Teresa's angle, which is that this is the character journey that she's doing. And maybe we will see where things go within the next two episodes so I will hold my 
full judgment of her acting performance in this, which, yes, I think is not not one of her best. Um, it is no Celeste from Big Little Lies for me until I see the whole thing, because it could be. She could be waiting to pull out some hat trick here. <laughs> um, let's talk about wardrobe again. So best outfit this week. I, I'm really struggling to find anything new that stands out to me. Everything. It almost seems to me like her wardrobe has changed. Like it, we went from those flowy Stevie Nicks dresses that yeah. were very Celeste in a way to these much more like I did like her the leather blouses. pinstripe, uh, not pinstripe, but the leather like you know thin the, that skirt. Uh, I liked that. I you know I, I of course again it's another thing that like yeah sure if you're Nicole Kidman that looks great on you. Mm-hmm. If I put that mm-hmm. on, I'd look like a sausage encasing. Mm-hmm. But fine, <laughs> you know you do you. <laughs> Um, uh, I did like her burgundy coat that yeah. she, um, mm-hmm. you know, she's really a fan of the jewel tones and as a redhead, like that's a solid choice, solid choice. But that burgundy coat was quite stunning. Um, so I, I like yeah, that. It's all about the coats. I feel yeah. like for the past few episodes, like the outfits have really been yeah. blah to me. We talked about this a little bit last episode that the fall mm-hmm. setting, you know, it's all kind of muted and that's maybe a tonal choice that David E. Kelly is making. Um, But it does kind of suck. And I also feel like because we really only have one main protagonist, we're only getting one sample of outfits to go on. Whereas in Big Little Lies, you know, we had this Mm -hmm. wealth of different characters that were all wearing something that was very them and very different. I mean, it's, it's just in general, I think this show suffers from that a little bit is that we're getting the same shots you know we we've had like four different shots of rikers island at this point we've had the museum countless Mm -hmm. times we've had the walking outside countless times whereas with big little lies we were getting you know all these different exquisite houses we were getting parties we were getting destinations in monterey we were getting beautiful scenic Mm -hmm. vistas and it just makes for a richer more visually interesting show I felt like in a way Little Fires Everywhere suffered from that too. We were getting like the interior of the two houses and the school mm-hmm. and it just like by episode seven, you're like, got it. Like I, I don't need yeah. <laughs> any more of this. So I. Can we go to a coffee shop? Please? Yeah. Like Can just to get something out of else. A, a fire pit bar. I something. was hopeful in the second episode when we got, or the yeah second episode when we got the beach house, I'm like, all right, maybe we'll be like moving around a little bit, but it's just. Or, you know, if they'd made the choice, if it's going to be in New York the entire time, like, make it New York in the spring. Like, why does it... New York in the fall no, is No, I love so that it's, it's bleak. See, I don't even think it's supposed to be the fall. I think it's supposed to be, like, February, March. It's Ooh, bleak the worst time of year. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's definitely what they're going for. Definitely a March vibe because there's snow, like, melting on the ground. And uh, it's cold, but not, like, so cold that when they're outside, they're shivering. So I, and I know, I mean, I do know that they actually did film this in February and March of 2019. So, uh, I'm, uh, yes, of 2019. Uh, so I, I think that that's when it is supposed to be. I don't think it's like fall because autumn in New York is like very beautiful. And yeah, then, but November yeah, like in November. the Northeast Yeah, but is November, horrendous. they have Christmas everywhere. True, true. New York jumps, like, the day after Halloween. New York has, like, fucking balls, wreaths, and yeah. candy canes mm-hmm. everywhere. So, the Cartier building wrapped in that giant red ribbon, which is, like, my favorite Christmas decoration of all time. Yeah, I do. I do love that. And the diamonds just hanging over the street, mm-hmm. the, like, diamond mm-hmm. lights. Um, 
So, yeah, I I think that this is definitely supposed to be dead of winter and not fall, um, mm, which is interesting for New York is a really depressing time. And also like it's a depressing time wardrobe wise for everyone. Think about it. <laughs> like February, it, it's like in early winter, you're excited to bust out your coats yeah, and like, your true. sweaters. I'm convinced. And by February and March, you're like, oh my God, I fucking just want to put on a spring dress. I just want to put like on my sunshine. same jewel toned coats. In alternate yeah. just yeah. the city. So I, too I am feel getting that a way. distinct uh, end of winter blast okay. yeah. from this. I feel that. Um, okay, so let's do recommendations. Uh, Carolyn, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, okay, so last night after watching the new episode, I uh, <laughs> HBO told me that I should watch their new series, and it is a docu series um, called Murder at Middle Beach. And it will be a four-episode um, series that will be on on um, Sunday nights as well. And it follows the uh, the filmmaker. The documentary filmmaker is doing a documentary about the murder of his mother. Uh, she was murdered at their home um, in Madison, Connecticut, um, about eight years ago. And he was in college at the time and started doing this as his thesis project and then continued after. And then somehow it got picked up by HBO. So good for him. Amazing things. Um, the first episode, I love a true crime documentary. So this doesn't disappoint. And uh, what makes it really fascinating is, is that the filmmaker is essentially the victim. Um, mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. it was his mother that was murdered. And so that is a really fascinating angle and um it it is so far very well done so i I, do you guys remember this murder i mean for those of you who are listening and don't know we all live in connecticut and i don't necessarily remember this murder i don't know where i I looked it up last week after i saw a preview for this and i was like how did this escape my radar like i'm usually all Mm -hmm. over local crime and all crime period so i was like this is shocking that i missed this um yeah and and it's very it's a very it's interesting. I cannot wait to see where this goes. And the the hus the ex husband, the guy's father, is a really strange character. Um, but it's funny because they have uh, all the Connecticut newscasters. They show clips, and I had forgotten about oh. you know some of these newscast. You'll recognize them. And uh, is Denise Desenzo in there? Oh, R.I.P. No. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> but there was soon. there used to be this uh, news news anchor on i think it was like channel eight here um named sonia baghdaddy i don't know if oh, she's yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, remember and because like such she has such a name that it always stuck with me and so sonia baghdaddy pops up wow. and Throwback. uh of course of course there's like tie-ins to all parts of the state because of where the aunt lives where the father ends up being um so it's really good just you guys we could do a whole nother podcast on that i am so i am all in all all in on uh enjoying that and uh so that's my i don't know if that's highbrow or or lowbrow to be honest with you crime is automatically lowbrow but i don't know um and then speaking of alex trebek uh, obviously we are all large Jeopardy fans here and are mourning the loss of Hit Alex it last Trebek. week. Let's get it again. I just, I, <laughs> I hijacked pretty much the back half of the last episode just to pretty much oh force Teresa to give me therapy. I was unwell. I'm still unwell. Yeah. 
Um, but I, uh, there is a new book out called Answers in the Form of Questions, A Definitive History and Insider's Guide to Jeopardy by Claire McNear. And uh, truth be told, I did not pick this up on my own. I had to read it for um, the radio show on WNPR. I'm getting to publicly mourn Alex Trebek tomorrow with the author of this book and uh, one of the writers from Jeopardy. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, but I, this book, so they, I, they sent me a copy of this book and I, uh, I basically binge read it and it's spectacular. It's really interesting and gives you such a beautiful insight into, uh, the game and it, it's really funny and, uh, has a great sense of humor and talks about, um, you know, what it was like to be a contestant, what Alex behind the scenes was like, uh, and how and about like comedians and parodies of Jeopardy and Jeopardy's reference in pop culture, like everything, every all things Jeopardy. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you were a Jeopardy fan, um, you should check out this book because uh, it really it'll it'll help give you some um, closure, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rebecca, what are your recommendations? Uh, I'll start with my highbrow. Uh, the Crown is back on Netflix, FYI, for all of my pompous listeners out there. And this is the season with Princess Diana, it sure right? Is. And let me tell you, it is <laughs> off to a fire start. I binge watched way too much of it yesterday. I didn't mean to, but it was fantastic. Um, it's, you know, I always love The Crown. I think it's really peak TV, one of our last emblems of peak TV. And the royal family is so interesting. And there's always stuff in this television show that I'm like, no way, that could not have happened. Like, for example, did you know that uh, Prince Charles dated Diana's older sister before he dated Diana? I oh, did I that. did. And yeah. I know because I recently listened to the You're Wrong About podcast series on oh. Princess Diana, which oh. is so sad and depressing. It's so sad. And, and you realize what a hot fucking mess she was. Yep. But how, like, important and what good work she did while still being a hot fucking It gave mess. me so um, much more sympathy. I mean, I've, I've had plenty of sympathy for, you know, her sons and Meghan Markle. And I know poor mm -hmm. Meghan Markle has received a lot of hate. But I also was kind of getting to the camp where I'm like, God, just fuck off if you don't want to do this. Like, honest to God, yeah. like, I'm so <laughs> tired of this public pity party. You married a prince, like, obviously. But watching the way they brought Diana into the fold and really the royal family pursued her and mm -hmm. wanted her, you know, she was the right pedigree and then just, like, destroyed this woman, I totally understand why this is such a trigger for Harry and the paparazzi is just something he cannot stomach. And, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it just was giving me a lot more sympathy for you know, they call it the firm, and it, it very much is that. It is a, a work obligation before family, and Diana just kind of came in and wanted love. She didn't have a loving home. Mm -hmm. She didn't come from a loving home, and that's what she was looking for. And obviously, you were looking in the wrong place if you're looking for the Queen of England to give you <laughs> yeah. love. Like, that is literally the opposite of her job. So it's just really mm -hmm. well done. The young actress who plays Diana Emma Corrin has got her down to a T. When she was first cast, I was kind of like, really? I don't see it. But watching it, I mean, she's got her mannerisms down, her voice down. I went wow. and watched clips of Diana's early interviews today just to compare it, and I was floored. So it's really fantastic. Highly recommend. Uh, Crown on Netflix, out now. Binge it so we can talk. Um, my lowbrow is real low. I mean, like, low, I feel bad. I don't feel good watching this. 
I, I started doing it because it came up on like a YouTube recommendation and there's entire full episodes of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares on YouTube. Oh and I God. can't stop. I love it so much. What's wrong with me? I can't stop. I'm like, oh, you have your you're storing raw chicken next to cooked chicken and three inches of dirt and human feces. Please give me more. Like <laughs> it is a repulsive, terrible show. He's abusive. The people are abusive. The restaurants are disgusting. Mm-hmm. It makes you never want to dine at a restaurant again, which is probably good advice for all of us to take as Americans during a pandemic. Like you don't want to eat in a restaurant anyways. You think you do, but you don't. And it's just vile. And I love it. There is this place in the next town over from me that I think I'm not sure if it aired, but it was filmed for that series where and it was this weird place where they tried to serve something like like German food or like Swedish food or something no one actually wants. Right. And then like but there were also local rumors that there was some sort of because it was an inn, I think. And so there were rumors that there was all sorts of weird sex stuff going on at this place. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> Can we go? Yes, it was. Still no, open? it is definitely for sure closed. Yeah. It's <laughs> opportunity for a very long time. Yeah. But there have been a couple of other, there was one in Bridgeport, there have been a couple of other, like, local restaurants that have shown up that I was just like, I want to go to this mess. I don't care what happens I, I love cooking shows. Like, every time I cook dinner, I just put old episodes of Chopped on. Like, it's just my, I like mm. to feel like I'm in the chopped kitchen when I'm cooking. And I have just been made a hard pivot to Kitchen Nightmares, and my partner is disgusted. He's like, why are you cooking dinner, watching this man, like, chew his way through rubbery, overcooked pizza? I'm like, I don't know. I'm unwell. I'm mourning Alex Trebek. What am I supposed to do? So, yeah, my it's the lowest of the lowbrows, but it is out there oh my for God. free Do you know what YouTube. Alex and I do for when we're cooking instead of watching shitty cooking, cooking shows? And in line with Jeopardy, we play Jeopardy on Alexa. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's actually a good idea. It is. I I recommend that as a very solid uh, kitchen activity. That's a wholesome Um, midbrow recommendation. A rare, wholesome midbrow. Yeah. Does Alexa keep score for you no that's the only thing Uh. well she does so she does say like what percent what percentage you are of overall players all time um she will say like how many games you've played um so i i I mean you can we tend to keep score for the week i mean we average somewhere around like there are 12 questions daily um Mm -hmm. and we sometimes like alexa you'll give the correct answer and she'll she'll not understand you um, mm-hmm. At least our Alexa seems to have a hearing problem, <laughs> but we we do pretty well. We I mean the lowest we usually get it about nine is like a solid score, um, and I mean because there's always like sports or something where you're like I I, yeah. don't, I don't know about sports ball, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah it's really fun. So if you have an Alexa, you should definitely make her do that with you, and it's a good like kitchen cooking activity because you don't have to be like watching anything. You can kind of be like moving around doing what you're doing and play. Yeah, sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And it's Alex Trebek's voice, which I hope they actually don't change. I don't know if I'm ready oh, for that. Oh, although I want LeVar Burton to be Yeah, to I take heard over. that. I want Ken Jennings, but I think LeVar would be a good choice, too. No, it's a natural progression. You go from, like, reading Rainbow to Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. It's, like, perfect for the millennial audience. <laughs> I don't disagree. Um, so I may be accidentally recommending something one of you has already recommended, although... It may have also been that you Rebecca, that Rebecca recommended this when we were on the nose together. I'm not really so. I, so I'm just going to recommend oh, yeah. it anyway. Uh, 
<laughs> my highbrow recommendation this week is The Queen's Gambit oh, on yes. Netflix, mm. which is just so, so good. I I mean, if you like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel for the costumes Ugh. and the set dressing, like, you have got to see this show. I tried to I, talk about so this beautiful. on the radio and no one was into it. I was like, the costumes are one of the best parts of this show. Like, they're so good. <laughs> It really, it's just so beautiful. And, like, even the really horrendous wallpaper and, like... The, like, the (laughs) curtains in the living room. I'm like, honestly, I don't. I hate it, but I don't. I would maybe do this. (laughs) Like, if I bought that house, I would feel bad getting rid of that original Yeah, me too. You know what I mean? I don't want to be one of those people that, like, gets rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's really good. I We finished it. We binged, we tried to meet it out a little bit and like took maybe a week or two to actually watch all, I think, is it six episodes? But it's so good. And if you, it, we, it got us playing chess again. We're pretending like we know what we're doing and even looking up rules we didn't know about before. Um, so yeah, I really, really highly recommend it. And I think if you like the kind of shows we talk about, which are usually female-driven with ladies who are kind of like not perfect um, role models by any stretch of the imagination, but who are really sort of compelling, this is a good show for you. And then, so I what for my lowbrow, I was going to recommend an Instagram account called at the vibe with KY. Um, and it's this, I mean, he, he does more than just this, but he, he is watching the Gilmore Girls for the first time and recording his responses to it. He's also doing it on TikTok and you can even, I think you can watch live on TikTok with him, but I'm, I'm too old for that. So I just watched the recaps (laughs) on Instagram after the fact and it's really cute. But Rebecca's uh, lowbrow recommendation of Kitchen Nightmares made me think about what I actually spent my weekend doing, um, which is just like putting hoarders in the background. Oh, (laughs) classic, classic. I, that show, I mean, if you need like to get the motivation to really give your house a good cleaning or like go through your closet, there is nothing better than hoarders to put on oh just the people whose houses are like literally falling in on them because of the weight of the stuff it's so depressing but also you cannot look away i mean that is a perfect pairing you start with kitchen nightmares you clean your kitchen while you cook dinner and then you go to hoarders and you clean the rest of your house i mean you've got it (laughs) all covered Mm -hmm. and great yeah no anxiety inducing stuff there wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know i it's definitely like i I watch it and it's also the people are you're just like this isn't this is still not going to go well for them after the like I know they get aftercare funds and stuff and they usually get help after the fact but you're like I mean if you're living in a house with like yeah. 10 dead cats under your magazine uh, they should like, give you a therapist for life is doing that show like and also yeah. you get 60 years of therapy on the house like <laughs> yeah and a cleaning yeah. lady who comes over once a month or once a day oh god yeah but I, I can't I can't stop watching. Wow. <laughs> we really went low this week. Uh, we got you. We really yeah, did. Uh, you guys really picked up where I like did I, I dropped the ball. Yeah, yours were both a little high, week. so Teresa and I had to come mm-hmm. in yeah. here with some real lows. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it low. Yeah, next watch week. more trash, <laughs> Carolyn. Stop reading so much. Yeah. If you could start watching Intervention and oh. recommending that, or maybe like um, Celebrity Rehab. I thought you were about to say Celebrity really Apprentice. Round it, round it out. Yeah. Actually, I was disgustingly a fan of Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, like back yeah. In the day. I mean, like when Trump was no. literally just a reality TV figure and not like the whole ass president. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't like him at all, no. but I, I just, I found the celebrities on it to be, you know. We used to watch total, it, too. It was like a family. We, like, after Jeopardy, we watched The Apprentice. Yeah. I mean, it was Joan Rivers coming, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Dennis Rodman, he had a whole crazy arc on The Apprentice where he just, like, Dennis rodman all over the place. It was wild. <laughs> It was, it were, there were actually some, some good moments there of people just Omarosa. Really... I mean, there was, yeah, it was wild. And he still definitely wanted to bang Ivanka all the time. Like, there was just so much oh. innuendo with him and Ivanka. I'm like, this yeah, is his daughter. So Why gross. are we doing this? Yeah. A few weeks ago, one of Don Jr.'s, like, ex-girlfriends or some, or, yeah, I think it was Don Jr. or Eric, one of the disgusting sons, um, ex-girlfriends, put up a tweet where she was just like spilling all the family gossip and she said whichever one she wasn't dating she said that one of them um cheated on his now wife by banging some other woman on the conference table from the show while donald watched (laughs) in the corner Ew. Gross. <laughs> Gary Busey. That, that was who, oh, like, yeah. was really... Gary Busey was Gary on it. Busey. God, it was a bad show. Yeah. You know he's He was gonna... also on Celebrity Rehab. Oh, mm-hmm. that was another show. Celebrity Rehab. And then they had all the offshoots, like, Marriage Rehab. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. The t- early, mm-hmm. mid-2000s were such a good time for Garbage TV. Like, I was thinking about, like, Flavor of Love and I Love New York and Rock oh, of Love. God. Like, all of those terrible shows that we just... Rock of Love, Rock of love. is... Oh my amazing. gosh! Uh, the that girl was who classic. pooped on the rug <laughs> in yep. Flavor of Love. Oh yeah, my God. it was wild. Yeah, <laughs> what a time to be alive! Like I'm when I, you know, I'm not gonna have children, but if I ever did have grandchildren, I'd like to sit them down and tell them about the glory days that I watched um, on early yeah. MTV. I mean, my God, that's what's gonna be on like Nick at Night <laughs> when <laughs> those kids are adults. I would when be I was so trash. for Here's that. Our trash children enjoy MTV at Night, where they bring back like classics mm-hmm. like rock of love well, and classic i don't know who's watching and... mtv at this point oh but... my super sweet 16 that was oh, a real that gem. was great yeah no, i could yeah. not watch that one without getting wildly infuriated those kids pissed me off oh i love one. yeah actually alex and i during quarantine somehow found that on some streaming network and sat and watched hours of it Do you remember next hours where they would like yes fli- oh mm-hmm. that was like tinder irl i mean terrible just oh yeah and then the one where yeah. they would get everybody in a van and they drive the girl or the guy whoever was in the hot seat to the different people's houses and then they had to decide who they wanted to date based on like snooping through their stuff i mean just oh my gosh fever dreams that these people came up with <laughs> just sexual the, fever uh, dreams the, do, there was like a you remember there was like pimp my yeah, ride oh, I and love like pimp, pimp my, my room ride. or whatever there was one where they did a trailer in a trailer park here in Connecticut, and I was obsessed with, like, driving by it all the time to see if I could 
if I could get a glimpse of this pimped out. I really want to do a podcast where we just find like washed up reality television stars or that have made appearances that live in Connecticut. Mostly Darcy Silva Mm -hmm. from 90 Day Fiance, who I just want to meet more than really anything else in the world. And she came into her sister Stacy and Florian, her cheating fiance went into my the store my friend works in the other day and she's like do you know these people i feel like you're the kind of like trash person that would know about reality television and i was like are they still there i'll be there in five minutes like i missed it but <laughs> it's my life's goal to meet darcy and stacy silva if you're out there in middletown call me good lord okay so with rebecca's plea i think we'll have to say we'll see you next week <laughs> for listening to big little podcast if you enjoy our show please consider becoming one of our valued podcast supporters at www.thebiglittlepodcast.com or just leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform can't get enough of us follow us on social media at big little podcast for exclusive content in between new episodes